All right. Hey, Rockbridge, I hope you all are doing well. Thank you so much for uh, being here this weekend, sharing your time with us. My name is uh, Matt, one of the pastors on our team. Want to shout out and welcome all five of our campuses all across North Georgia and up into the Tennessee Valley with our Hickson campus. Glad that uh, y'all are all gathered here with us. Uh, hey, we're getting ready uh, next week to celebrate baptism with folks, and what an amazing opportunity this is. If you are following Christ for the first time in your life, and you've decided to give Him the steering wheel of your life, this is your next step. This is your first act in many ways of obedience to the Lordship of Jesus in your life. And uh, what a powerful uh, act of obedience and a powerful symbolism that we, we're honored to celebrate you, that with you. You got questions about it? You want to sign up for that? You can use that next step card in front of you. See your campus pastor in our connection spaces anytime after the service. Be happy to help you with that step. Another opportunity that we have is uh, this, this weekend, this Sunday, is Rockbridge 360. If you're ready just to get connected, we talk about at Rockbridge, we want to help you connect to life in Christ. Part of life in Christ comes through the body of Christ or what you might know as the local church. So, hey, I just want to know more about Rockbridge. This is your best step. Hey, I'm ready to get involved and, and go from being a spectator to being a participant, a consumer of Rockbridge to a contributor to the cause that this church represents. Rockbridge 360 is a great, great next step for you. So we are kind of going to, we're going to finish one series today, and it's actually going to be the prequel to the next series, and I'll talk more about that a little bit later. But we have been in this series called Seasons, and we've talked a lot about how all of us are in a season, and I don't mean winter because it's the first of February. Uh, I mean there's a season going on in your soul. There's a season going on kind of in your mind or in, in your emotions, in your experiences. And you may experience that as, as a barren season like winter, a fruitful season like fall, uh, an exciting, playful season like summer, a renewing season like the spring. You may experience it as dry or waiting or seeking. You might experience it as adversity or opportunity, optimism or pessimism. But all of us are in a season. And we said that's really the key to identifying the actions of God, the activity of God in our lives. That if you're in winter and expecting it to be summer, then you'll miss what God's got for you in that season. So we've explored that for several, several weeks, and we're going to conclude today with this fact that you know, and that is that seasons change, and there's a transitions that occur. And, and so when seasons change, we need to be prepared for what's next. And we need to know how to change when the seasons change, and we need to understand that all of us eventually leave the summer and go into another season. We, we leave dryness or adversity and go into a opportunity or harvesting, and so we need to be prepared. Now, let's, let's talk about something for a minute. Most of us, when we think about being prepared, we think about having more information, and God, tell me what's next. Because it, it doesn't always work that you go from winter to spring in your soul. Just let me say that. 
It doesn't always work that you go from adversity to all of a sudden abundance. It doesn't always work maybe like you want it to work. And then we want to know what's next. We want to say things. God, am I going to get the job or not? God, is this relationship going to go the distance or not? We want to say, God, are you going to answer this prayer or not? Because I've been waiting. I'm in a season of waiting. So God, give me the knowledge of what's, of, what's, of what's going to happen next. But you need to know something because God is not so much in telling us what's going to happen next, but he is in the business in preparing us for what's next. So you need to unlearn something like I need to unlearn something. There is no correlation between knowing what's next and being prepared for what's next. Let me make sure you hear me because you're going to think, hey, God, you haven't told me what's next. How can I be prepared? We'll get there in our conversations today in the Word of God. But there is no zero, zip, zero, not a correlation between knowing what's next and being prepared for what's next. I'll prove it. If, this were, if there was a correlation, nobody would ever fail a class because you know the test is coming. If you have a good teacher, you know what's on the test. That doesn't mean you're going to study for it right? How many people, you know, you know what's next. Like I, when I do premarital talks or get, get ready to marry people, everybody knows and everybody knows that the, the wedding is coming. And I've never attended a bad wedding, but I've dealt with a lot of bad marriages. So there's no correlation between knowing, hey, after your wedding, which you spend so much time getting ready for, there's marriage. And you'll spend a lot more time in your marriage than at your wedding. And that's what's coming. And people still go in, knowing that's coming, people still go into marriage unprepared, even though they know that's next. If you watch the Super Bowl, how many people here knew that the New England Patriots on third down were going to throw it to Julian Edelman, right? And they did every time. And the Rams could have known it was next, but they couldn't stop him, right? It was the most boring Super Bowl. Anyway, <coughs> so there is no correlation between knowing what's next and being prepared for what's next. So our focus needs to be on preparation over information. Our focus needs to be on, now information can aid preparation, but our focus is this. How do we get prepared, God, for what's next? <coughs> and God tells, or Jesus tells, who is God, tells a great story and it moves into a parable about how we need to understand and how we need to think about transitions in our lives because he is engaged in a massive transition in, in the religious structure or the Christian structure of his day. So if you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to open them up to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5, and Jesus is going to introduce a concept of how we get ready for what's next and how we receive what's next from the Lord and how we're prepared for what's next from him. Now, to understand Luke chapter 5, you have to understand that Jesus has called a guy named Matthew or Levi, a tax collector, or you might think of a scoundrel and a robber. He's called a tax collector to be one of his disciples, to be one of his followers. Matthew leaves everything and follows him. Matthew throws a party for Jesus and has all his kind of, you know, notorious kind of sinner type people come over and party with Jesus. And then these religious people get upset at Jesus and they're like, why are you hanging out with him? And he said, well, it's the sick people that need a doctor and I've come 
come to, to take care of them. And then they ask him another question. So that's the background uh, of everything that's going on. And, and, and they're not understanding that the seasons have changed. And so then Jesus goes here. Then they, that's the religious people, said to him, Jesus, Hey, John's disciples fast often and say prayers, and those of the Pharisees do the same, but yours eat and drink. Hey, Jesus, how come your followers are getting to eat and drink and party, and the rest of us are abstaining from food and drink, and we're fasting? We're abstaining from stuff. And then Jesus makes an interesting statement. He says, look, you can't make the wedding guests fast while the groom is with them, can you? And what he's saying is this. He's like, look... This whole thing that you're a part of, this whole Jewish structure, has been preparation for me, Jesus, to come on the scene, and the seasons have changed, and you haven't recognized that the seasons have changed, and because I'm with my disciples, there's no need for them to fast. There's no need for them to, to abstain from anything because they're discovering they can have everything when they have me. That's what he's teaching. All right? Now, they don't get that because they're religious and they're traditional and they have their preferences and they have their rituals. You know, religious people are hard to change. Religious people don't like to change their structures. They don't like to change the format, you know, all that kind of stuff. They don't like that. So if you're like a non-religious person, like, man, I'm in a church and he's talking about religious people. Yeah, right. We, we got to be equal opportunity offenders, right? So Jesus is saying something's changed. But then he says this, but the time will come. When the groom will be taken away from them. And he's talking about his crucifixion and when he descends to heaven. And then they'll fast in those days. <clears throat> and then they'll fast in those days. Now, there's two words you need to know to understand the meat of this passage. And the words are new and incompatible. New as in when God does a new thing, certain old things become incompatible. Hear me again. When God is doing a new thing, bringing Jesus into history, bring, having Jesus replace the structure of the temple and the law, when Jesus is coming and doing something new, old things, certain old things like fasting in the Old Testament mindset become incompatible. That's the key to understanding <coughs> what God is up to and how we are prepared for what's next. So here's how he teaches this concept. He says, fasting is a hunger for more of Jesus and his power. And the capacity has arrived in Jesus that we can get more of God, so much more of God that it becomes a new thing, a new work. Then, so you fat, you're hungering for more of Jesus and his power than you currently have, and you're intentionally making room for the new or for the more. So it's a hunger for more of Jesus, and we're going to make room for more. So something new is happening, and some things are incompatible. That's what he's kind of talking about there. And then he shifts gears, sort of, but it's still the same thought, and he tells them a parable. And here's the parable. He says, no one tears a patch from a new garment or a new piece of clothing and puts it on an old garment. This is not going to work. The old garment is older, raggedier, more raggedy. It's shrunk. The new garment, brighter colors. It hasn't shrunk yet because it hasn't been washed yet. And then he says, otherwise, if you do that, not only will you tear the new, you'll mess up the new, but, but also the piece from the new garment will not match the old. New 
and incompatible. Same two words that we was talking about with fasting. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. So in the old days, they had these wineskins, and they, they would kind of get old over time, and they would stretch out. And he said, you don't put new into old. New is incompatible with old. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins. When it expands, as fermentation occurs, it stretches those wine skins out, the old ones, and they burst. It will spill, and the skins will be ruined. No, new wine is put into new or fresh wine skins. New needs new. Old is incompatible with the new that God is doing. And then he gives a warning, and I will unpack this and apply this, but here's the warning. And no one after drinking old wine wants new because he says the old is better. Now, here's the, this is the warning. The warning is this. You and I have a tendency, listen, listen, listen. We have a tendency to prefer what is familiar, what is comfortable, what is known, and what we've done before. We have the tendency, whether you talk about the church service, whether you talk about a Bible translation, whether you talk about how you relate and how you handle crises and how you handle stress, how you handle anything new, we prefer, he says, the old. And in our thinking, we say the old is better. And here's what tends to happen, okay? When we get stressed, when we get fearful, we'll take a step back into what is most familiar and what is most comfortable to us. And we do that all the time. And so these Pharisees, let's go back to the text, these Pharisees and religious leaders, they did not see Jesus as God's new. They did not see Jesus as the answer to all of the old and the fulfillment to all the Old Testament laws and prophecies and the temple and the sacrificial system. They saw Jesus as an interference. They saw Jesus as a threat to the old. So when God changes the system or when God changes the season on you, you have to fight this tendency to stay with what you know, to stay with what is familiar, and to stay with what is comfortable. That's his warning because it, there, there's new and the old is incompatible with the new and Jesus doesn't want you or me to miss the new. Why? Because God is doing new. Seven times the word new is mentioned in our text, and that's a clue that Jesus wants us to zero in on that word, that God is a God of new. Understand that. He likes new beginnings. He likes fresh starts. He likes new challenges, new opportunities. He brings new seasons in their time for purposes that often are incompatible with the old. See it in Isaiah. Isaiah says this, do not remember the past events. Some of you just, I just need to stop right there. You walked in here with a past that feels more powerful than the present or the future. And you just need to have the word of God hit your soul right now. Do not remember the past events. Pay no attention to things of old. Look, I am about to do something. Who is? God is new even now it is coming. And he wants us to see it. He doesn't want us to miss it because we're paying attention to things of old. So he says, look for the new, pay no attention to the old. And then he says this, do you not see it? Do you not see it? Sometimes it's hard to see it. Do you not see it? 
Indeed, God says, I will make a way in the wilderness. I will bring something new. Normally, the wilderness doesn't have a way through it. And I'll put rivers in the desert. Deserts are dry. God brings new, refreshing, renewal, a new work, and a new movement. So, we unpack that even further. God is doing something new, always, bringing something new, showing something new. <coughs> the old and new are incompatible. Look at the words Jesus used. The, the patch will tear. The patch on the new garment versus the old will not match. The skins will burst. The wine, new wine will spill. It'll be ruined. The old and the new are incompatible. But the warning was this in the text. We prefer the old and do not see or do not even want the new. The Pharisees were face to face with the Alpha and the Omega. The Pharisees were face to face with the God-man sent to die for their sins, die in their place. The Pharisees were face to face with the one that was prophesied about in Genesis 3, in Genesis 12, in Genesis 15, in the law of Moses, on the throne of David, all these prophecies, and they are face to face with the new, and they don't want to even taste it. They don't even want him, because they don't want the new. They prefer the old. Now, here's the challenge, and this is where we got to get in. This is where it gets to our souls today, 2,000 years after this was written. God's bringing of the new is aimed at us because God's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. It's us that God is aiming at us becoming new and or being renewed. Listen to, listen, listen, listen. All of these new seasons, all of this question about what's next, don't miss the transition. Hey, I'm leaving this season, going into another season. We get all excited, potentially, or nervous, potentially, or fearful, potentially, or hopeful, or optimistic about the new season, but God is more interested in you and I becoming new, or you and I going through a process of renewal. Because we would all say this, right? We would all say, there's been times in my marriage where we just needed some fresh, not as in a new partner, but as in renewal in our marriage. We, we, in the church, we go through seasons where, man, I think we need something new or fresh. We need renewal. Your job, new, fresh. Sometimes we see that and we sense that. And so God's bringing of new is aimed at us. And so the challenge for us is not to so much get excited or get fearful about what's coming next in terms of the season or in terms of the circumstance, but in terms of what's new coming into us, what's being renewed as far as who we are and how our understanding is. So Jesus says to the Pharisees, hey, they don't need to fast anymore because they're new in me. They're being refreshed and renewed by my presence with them. When I'm gone away, they'll fast because they want more of me and, and they miss and are ready for the full consummation of a relationship with me. But right now, they don't need to do that because they have me. So the question that needs to sit on us and that needs to resonate in us is this. Instead of asking, hey, what's new? You, say, you ask that, hey, what's up? Hey, what's new, man? And what you're expecting and what we're thinking of is, hey, I got a new relationship cooking. Hey, I got a new job, new business opportunity. Hey, my child started a new hobby, a new activity. 
hey, you know, the, the wife and I, we just committed to this new thing, this new build, deal, new activity. Hey, I just got a new car. Hey, I just see that new movie. We think of new in terms of things going on around us, and God wants us to do this. Instead of saying, hey, what's new in terms of the season? He wants us to ask, what's new in terms of us? Because he wants to renew and refresh and bring new to us. So it's not, hey, I'm leaving the winter and I'm going to spring. Why is it spring? I have a new job. Everything's going well. It's, hey, here's what's new coming into my life. Here's who I'm becoming. Here's who I have become. Here's how I've changed. See, here's a lot of things. We want the season sometimes to change, but we don't want to change. We want the seasons to change, but we don't want to change. But God changes the seasons to help us see him in a new way, experience him in a fresh way, so that we become new in our relationship, in our understanding of him. So understand it this way. Think of of this in about four categories. When I say, hey, what's new in terms of you? In general, I mean it in one of four areas. Your identity and your self-awareness. Who you are in relationship to God. Who you are in relationship to God. Some of you think God is a judge and a punisher. Some of you think God is your friend and your bosom buddy. Some of you think God is just some generic man upstairs and that you can't really depend upon him. Uh, You never need to call him. It's just sort of up to you. So you go through seasons so you can understand yourself in relationship to God as a son or as a daughter. That after this season, I am more aware that the most important thing about me is I am a child of God, loved eternally and forever by Him. No if, no ands, no buts. That's an example of, hey, what's new with you? And you might have said, hey, and I'll say this, it took my wife's leukemia to teach me that. Praise the Lord. You, you, you might say, hey, I used to think I am how much money I make. And God took me through a season and showed me how generous of he, God he is that I can never outgive God. And so now I realize I am not what I make. I am what Jesus has given and done for me, and I can never outgive God. That's what's new with me. So identity and self-awareness. How many of us parents in here who are raising teenagers, right? Do you want your child to be known as, hey, John Smith, the athlete, John Smith, the great student, John Smith, the kid that everybody in school likes? All those things are temporary and fleeting. How about you want to ground your teenager, ground your son or daughter in, hey, the most important thing about you, son, the most important thing about you, daughter of mine, is that God loves you. And walk into young adulthood with that anchored in your soul. That's what's new with us, right? Perspective. Perspective. Perspective is how you see and how you interpret reality. Whether you do it correctly or not is one thing, but all of us see things from a certain perspective. So if I walk into my house and there's a box of homemade cookies sitting there, there's three options that immediately my perspective tells me are plausible things. Beth, my mom or her mom, made those cookies. Now, 
If someone came in and said, hey, Matt, there's a bunch of cookie-baking, tree-living elves in your backyard, and they bake some cookies and put them on your counter for you, I'd say, no way. That's not possible. Okay? Now, some of you, some of you, your perspective, God wants to change your perspective, because just like I would say there is no way that there are tree-living, cookie-baking elves in my backyard, you might say there's no way God could love you. And God takes you through a season and shows you that he can and that he does. You might sit here and say, hey, it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense for me to trust God more than I trust my mind or more than I trust my heart or more than I trust my body or more than I trust my competency. But God took all those crutches away and I had to learn to trust him. And I now know, I didn't know before, my perspective said it was all up to me, but now I know I can trust God. Thanks, God, thanks be to God for the season I just went in. Some of you, you, have, you don't think God can deliver you from your addiction. Some of you don't think God can save your marriage. You have no perspective of that until God brings you through a season and opens you up to new wine, which is a new perspective. Another category where I think we look, hey, what's new with me is my understanding of God. <coughs> Some of you understand God is gracious, but you don't understand God is holy. So you're always, hey, God will just forgive me for my sins. God will just forgive me of my sins until God shows you with a burning fire in your soul that he's also holy and he didn't just die for you to get forgiveness. He died for you also to become new. So your understanding of God changes. Some of you, when we say God is a good, good father, like we sang earlier, that takes you back to your dad who was not a good, good father. And it'll take an encounter with the Abba adopting love of God. That comes in a season for you to get the new wine that God's a good daddy. Better than any earthly daddy any of us have ever had, no matter how good yours was. So your understanding of God can change. And, and, and then our character, our, our, our becoming more like Jesus can change. See, if you go through a season and it's a season that tests you in terms of your anger and your frustration, or how you use your tongue, or your lack of patience, and you move into a new season, and you still get angry, or you still have zero patience, or you still use your tongue as a weapon of cursing instead of a, an organ of blessing, then you've missed something. You've missed the new. And so, in those four areas, when we ask each other, hey, what's new? What we need to be asking is what's new with you in terms of who you know yourself to be? What's new with you in terms of how you see and interpret reality, your perspective shaped by God, shaped by the Word of God, how you understand your identity, how you understand uh, God, and how you are cooperating to become more like Jesus? Which takes us to something incredibly, incredibly important. When we're talking, this, this is where the Pharisees in Luke 5 missed it. This is where we miss it. All right, what Jesus are we talking about? Because, see, I'm convinced a lot of us have a Jesus in our mind that does not exist. We have a Jesus in our mind that does not exist. And, and so let's make sure we're talking today about the, the right Jesus. The right Jesus. The right Jesus is going to do new things in us. And some things in us are going to be incompatible with the new wine of Jesus. To get new power, 
there's something incompatible. To get a new perspective, you got to unlearn your old perspective that you got from your society, your culture, your family of origin. And if we have a Jesus that never challenges, never confronts, strokes our ego, we have the wrong Jesus. That's the Jesus the Pharisees wanted. And when they found out the Jesus of reality was new for them, to them, and incompatible with their way of life, they hung him on a tree. Because we've all done that to Jesus too. We've preferred the old to him. We've said, God, I want to keep this in my life. I want you too, but I'd like to keep this thing too. And God's like, no, that's incompatible. No, no, God, I'll have it. We all put him on the tree too. So think of it this way. Do you think of Jesus as Jesus get me out of hell or Jesus make me new? Do you think of Jesus as a way to have a better life or Jesus you are my life? Do you want Jesus to raise your self-esteem when Jesus invites you to deny deny yourself and pick up your cross and follow him because he's worth it? See, sometimes we think of Jesus as this big giant eraser. Just erase my mistakes, erase the bad thing, erase. But he also wants to write a new story in place of your sin story. So if we're going to prepare for new wine, we've got to have the right Jesus. Or those old wineskins will burst. Incompatible. See, now that's the challenge, Right? The challenge is so many of us want to take Jesus plus or Jesus and. I want Jesus plus the American dream. I want Jesus plus this good health until I'm 95. I want Jesus plus money. I want Jesus plus sex on demand. I I want Jesus plus or I want Jesus and. And what happens is this. You have to almost unlearn parts of your culture, parts of your family of origin, parts of how you think about you, how you think about the world, how you think about life in order to get ready for the new wine. Now, so so we call this phenomenon syncretism. It's where you combine the God of the Bible with some other God of your own understanding or your own culture, okay? Your own culture. And so when we're Americans, before we become Christians, most of us are Americans, Before we become Christians, most of us see ourselves as African Americans or white Americans or Hispanic or Southern or or we're Evanses before we're Christians and all the baggage that might come with being an Evans or being a Smith or being a Jones. And so if we're not careful, we just want to mix those things together. That's mixing old and new. So let me give you some examples of what I mean. Most of us as Americans are savvy consumers, and we're always looking for what? A good deal at low cost that's convenient to us. If you walk into church and evaluate church and evaluate Jesus based on convenience and cost, when Jesus calls for commitment and contribution, you'll miss Jesus. So you can't come to church like you go to Walmart. You can't come to church like you pick, is it Outback or Longhorn tonight? You have to unlearn that. It's incompatible with the Jesus who calls for commitment and sacrifice, who calls for commitment and contribution to the kingdom. You have to unlearn that. See, when we hear Jesus talk about an abundant life, most of us all automatically go to excitement, pleasure, and prosperity. Hey, God promised me the abundant life. 
Well, what does that mean to me? That means this, this, and this. And those are incompatible with Jesus who says abundant life comes through a relationship of surrender and awe and intimacy with him. So you have to unlearn a definition here. See, Americans, if I could go to a lost person on the street, a person who never heard of Jesus, say, hey, what does abundant life mean for you? And, they, and most of us might say, well, that's what it means to me too, but it's not what it means to Jesus. Abundant life is in him, through him, for him, living for his glory. That's what he means and the joy that comes therein. So you've got to unlearn that and uncombine it and unhitch that. A lot of us have identity idolatry. We see ourselves as, hey, I am Matt, the career person. I, this is my job. This is this. And we just want God to prop up our identity. I am what I do. I am what I have. I am what people say about me. So God, help people to like me. God, help me to do better at work or sports or school. God, give me more stuff so I can have stuff because having stuff makes me who I am. God, help me prop up my identity where God says, no, 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 no. Here's your identity. You're mine. I paid for you in my blood to adopt you into my family. So you have to unlearn that. It's incompatible. If you want the new wine of Jesus that tastes good, you've got to unlearn that. You've got to unhitch that. It's incompatible. How about this? We see ourselves as individuals and tribes. We're Americans, right? Individual rights. I hang out with people like me. I want my kids to hang out with people like me. Same, same, you know, socioeconomic status, same skin color. I want my kids to go to school with people like them. I, I, I want to associate with people like them. And that's mostly what we do. When God is creating a new community, God creates a new race, a new Adam. And in that race, he says, there's neither male nor female, slave nor free. And what unites us and what's the most important thing about us is not Matt Evans. Here's my degree. Here's my title. Here's my skin color. Here's where I'm born. What's the most important thing about Matt Evans is Matt Evans, the son of God. And that's how come we can have community in the church that transcends race, language, skin color, bank account amount, zip code, or socioeconomic status. But you got to unlearn that. Because if you come to church and want it to remain the most segregated hour of the week in America, that's not Jesus. It's incompatible with new wine. We think of ourselves in, as, a, as owners. We want to own stuff. And if I'm an owner, I have rights. God wants you to see yourself as a steward who has responsibilities. Vast different. So if you relate to God as, hey, I'm an owner... And you go out in the world and act like an owner with rights when God sends you out in the world as a steward with responsibilities. you got to unhitch that. It's incompatible with new wine. And then, especially as uh, religious types, right, we think of my little sins and I'm respectably good compared to most people. I, all my sins are little. Now there's, whoo. And I'm respectably good. Because, I, I, you know, I've gone to church a few times. I had not killed anybody. Most people like me. Every person apart from Jesus Christ is dead in their sins without the new wine of Jesus. So there is no such thing as respectable goodness. And there's no such thing as a little sin when we're talking about a holy God. It's incompatible with new wine. 
So, when you start looking at getting ready for what's next, you've got to be willing to subtract some things from your life for the purpose of adding and multiplying. If we're going to get new wine that ferments, grows, and expands and adds, and, and if we're going to hunger for more of Jesus, we've got to make room for him. That's why the disciples will fast. If I want more of God, I've got to subtract and make room. Because if I don't, it's dangerous. The skins burst. The wine spills. Things are ruined. Incompatible. New and old. So I ask you this, this today. Before, Matt, before I go to the new season, whenever that comes, and some of you I know are on the cusp of one. You've shared it with me. Before I go to the new season... What has to go for the new wine to flow? Say it again. Before I go to this new season, I see it on the horizon, or I'm going to get prepared because I know it's coming. What has to go for the new wine to flow? Now, ironically, I'm going to go back to the very beginning of, of this whole stream of thought that Luke had. Remember I told you it started it with a guy named Levi, Matthew tax collector. So we zip back up to verse 27. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector. That's a robber and a scoundrel, a Jewish person who conspired with the Roman government to overtax the Jewish people and get rich at their expense. Roman government sets a tax rate at 20%. Levi, you can collect 30%. 10% is yours. That's how it would work. This tax collector named Levi was sitting at the tax office, and Jesus says to him, follow me. Don't tell me you can't follow Jesus. Don't tell me God's not interested in you. Don't tell me you've sinned too much and done too many bad things. If Jesus is interested in Levi, he's interested in you. Now, what did Levi do? Now, if I'm going to make room for new, there's some old I got to get rid of because it's new and incompatible. Those are our two words. So leaving everything, leaving everything, that's the old, that's the incompatible. He got up and began to follow him. That's the new. So what about you? For me to be ready for what's next, for the new wine to flow, what has to go? Because here's what Levi knew. Today's blessings are not often found in old places. Today's blessings are not found in old places. And here's a danger. Remember, remember, remember Jesus' warning, verse 39, Luke 5, 39. The old is better. The old is better. That's the lie of the devil. That's the lie of tradition. That's the lie of comfort, convenience, familiarity. That's the lie of the status quo. That's the lie of passivity. That's not the God who does new things, speaking. So you have to understand the real truth is this. So you don't delay. You're letting go. New now is better than new later. New now is better than new later. And new now makes later better. That's the promise of new wine. New now, better than new later. I don't want to miss this new wine. So something's got to go. And new now makes later better. That's the hope that we have in Christ. What needs to go for new wine to flow? Now, in conclusion, what I want to do is I want to share, and I'm going to read this as a letter to you at Rockbridge. I just want to share with you about the season 
that I see our church being in. And it will be our invitation time as well. And it will lead us to a time of prayer. We've been in a season as a church, and I just want to share that with you. And how the new wine, I think, is starting to flow. Rockbridge, one of the greatest services that I can give you as your lead pastor is clarity about what God seems to be doing in our midst and where he seems to be taking us as his people at Rockbridge. Now, I know it is easy to relate to God on only personal and individualistic terms, but I ask you right now, Rockbridge, to see God through the lens of your corporate belonging to a spiritual family and your involvement in the local church that is Rockbridge Community Church. I personally ended 2018 at the lowest point in my 16 years of ministry. I was convicted of negligence in my leadership, and I was aware that the fear of the Lord had waned in me and had waned in us as a people. Our worship was too casual, our prayers too cliche and too powerless. We had lost our first love for Jesus, and we were not loving others as Jesus has loved us on the cross. Simply put, we at this church were coasting and drifting, a dangerous condition for sure because we never drift toward God, we never drift toward holiness, we never drift toward purity, and we never drift toward Christ-likeness. However, God gave us the grace of humility, the grace of poverty of spirit, and the grace <coughs> that brings weakness and yet openness. The kind of grace that recognizes the need for removal, renewal, the kind of grace that admits the old wineskins won't hold the new paths of his refreshing power and presence. So God made us thirsty for something new. God made us thirsty for something fresh from him. God made us hungry for the only bread that satisfies the soul, himself. And we began as staff and elders to seek the Lord in prayer and fasting more than we have ever done together in the history of this church. We took God's command in Jeremiah 33.3 to call out to him, and we believed his promise that he would answer us and show us great and incomprehensible things that we did not know and that we did not have. In other words, we believe new wine would flow, but that the old would have to go. And now, we sense as a leadership at this church a stirring of His Spirit, a spark of the holy fire that inflames the soul. I hear it in your prayers as many of you arrive early to pray before our services at all five of our campuses. I hear it in your voices as you seem to be singing more to the audience of one instead of being self-conscious of who might hear you next to you. I see it in our staff and elders who are listening, leading, and serving as men and women who have been with Jesus, ministering to you from the overflow of God's living water inside of them. I sense it at first Wednesday when I see you taking seriously the command and call to pray, when I hear you pray for one another and seek the Lord for who He is more than what He has to give. So today I do not share news of an attendance record broken or a new ministry being launched or a new goal being set. Instead, I share a new hunger for God and His presence and a small 
invisible yet detectable blowing of fresh wind and the warmth of fresh fire from heaven. But this stirring is not just for some of us who call Rockbridge our church or those of us who happen to be on staff. This stirring is for all of us because we're one church. We're one body with one faith under one great God who's doing new. So I want to invite you into this season of fresh wind and fire. This season of renewal and refreshing from the Lord. Now let me be clear, church. Accepting this invitation will require that you become dissatisfied with the you that tries to exist apart from God. It will require that you hunger from the food that does not come from human hands but only from heaven. Now, it's okay if you lack that dissatisfaction or if you lack that desire. I ask you to just ask God for it. Ask God to give you a taste for the new wine. Ask Him. Accepting this invitation will require us to search and read the Word of God to find God, not to merely comply with a religious duty. So next week, we'll start a new series on the book of Ezra called The Way Back, because God is calling us back to Him, because many of us here today have wandered and coasted and drifted, including yours truly. Others of us have gotten complacent or grown stagnant. Some of us have given up and ceded ground to Satan and his schemes and his lies and his deceptions aimed at our destruction. Some of us are enslaved. And we've become exiles existing apart from the fullness of God. We're sinners in need of the grace of God. And Ezra shows us the way back because God is here and God is good and new wine is coming. And so we're thirsty for it and we are going to make room to receive it. So will you, Rockbridge, accept the invitation? Wherever you are in life and wherever you are with God, will you accept the invitation to new, to fresh, to seek the Lord actively and intentionally, to seek first the Lord and His kingdom, to seek Him for who He is and who He is for us in His Son, Jesus And will you rest today, church, in this promise from the prophet Isaiah, where it is written, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call to him while he is near. Let the wicked one abandon his way and the sinful one his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord so he may have compassion on him. And return to our God, for he will freely forgive. Let us pray. God, would you make us thirsty for more of you? God, the human soul can never be satisfied until it drinks of the new wine of Jesus Christ. God, if we lack that thirst, that desire, and a holy dissatisfaction with our status quo today, give us a thirst 
for the new wine. Give us a desire for you. God, we have wandered. We have preferred the old to you. We have preferred the comfortable to you. We have preferred the familiar to the new that you're bringing in Christ. But God, you're faithful. You're faithful. And you invite us back to seek you while you may be found. So God, I pray right now in every soul within the sound of my voice, every soul within the sound of my voice, we accept the call. We accept the invitation that for the new wine to flow, something has to go. And that we show up seven days from now, hungry, thirsty, expectant, ready to seek you and to have you bring us back. To have you give us more of yourself and the new wine of King Jesus. God, the only hope that any of us have in this room, in our communities, or in this nation is that we would become people thirsty and ready to receive new wine. So, Lord God, Make us seekers, seekers of you, because you promise to be found. And when you are found, you satisfy the soul. You stir us to new heights with new power. God, don't let us leave here satisfied with anything less and the fullness of God as revealed in Jesus Christ. And it is in his name we pray and declare new wine is here. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit we pray. Amen.